Mark chapter 2, 1 to 12. Uh, Jesus heals a paralytic. Okay, here we go. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Then some men came to him. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could get, since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat that the paralysed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Now. Some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Morning. Good to see you this morning. Uh, We've been working through a series on uh, the people that Jesus met. We're up to about week five or six now. We've been looking at a number of different people he's met at different times and the way he's interacted with them and uh, the things, the way the people have interacted with him as well. Uh, today we come up to a great story about Jesus and a paralytic. Uh, I hope this morning as we look through this we'll grab hold of just how amazing it is. And before I do that I'm going to turn this fan off because otherwise I'm going to lose my page all the time. Okay. Uh, I read a story recently about alpine hikers. I don't know whether you know about this, but when they get caught in a brewing storm, when things are gathering around them, uh, it can actually get to the point where the people that are walking, their hair can actually stand on end, literally giving them like a crown all around them because of the electrifyingness of the, of the air. It just stands on end. And as they're walking, they notice that also their backpacks, if they've got metal backpacks, they start to glow blue. It's called St Elmo's Fire, if you remember the song about that, St Elmo's Fire. That's what it is. It's the glow and the electrifying that happens. Not only does it happen with hikers, but it also happens with uh, people on the sea. There's been reports too for them that as they've been out at sea, if it looks like there's a storm coming and the electricity in the air, their masts can actually glow a ghostly glow. And when that happens, they know that something big is about to happen. There's something exciting in the air that more than likely an electric lightning bolt's going to hit from nowhere. So if you're a hiker, you quickly get off your pack and you dive for cover because the lightning's about to hit. It's that sense, isn't it, that there's something in the air. There's something big about to happen. There's something huge shock about to come their way. And in this passage that we have before us in Mark chapter 2, it's the same sense. You see, if you read chapters 1 and 2, go home and do that when you get home, you'll see that there's amazing things happening. Jesus is on the scene. 
There's miracles happening. People are being healed all over the place. Jesus is teaching and people are stunned by his authority. So much so that Jesus actually can't walk into a town anywhere without people coming from everywhere to him. And so just at the end of chapter 1, it actually says that Jesus has to stay out of towns because there's just too much of a buzz, too much electricity happening around him. And then in this chapter we see it's about to go bang in a big way. So as we look through this this morning, I hope you gather that sense as you feel the electricity of this passage, as you feel something big's about to happen. So as we think about that, as we get ready for that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. Lord, we thank you as we look here about Jesus, as we hear him come in contact with another person, with many people. Lord, we pray this morning that you'll open our eyes uh, to see, our hearts to hear and to respond to what you are saying in this passage, Lord. And may a lightning bolt hit us this morning in a sense that we come to realise something great about Jesus this morning. Father, we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, it's exciting. Have a look at chapter one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Look what's going on. In chapter 2 it says there, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. There was no room. People are flocking from everywhere, like Rodney the robot. People are coming from everywhere to see him. Have you ever been in that situation where you've been going somewhere and there's that buzz, that's hype as you're turning up to it when you go to a rock concert or when you go to the World Championship Wrestling and watch Hadley up in Lismore or, you know, that sense of great, something big's about to happen. Well, we went to the Commonwealth Games a couple of years ago and uh, we went to a number of events and uh, there were some great events we saw. We saw the hockey, uh, saw the rugby sevens. But I think the most exciting time for us was when we got, went with 90,000 other people to the MCG for the very first day of the athletics. 90,000 people just streaming in, the trains, the trams, everyone, it seemed, was going to this venue. And as you went through the turnstiles, the electricity was there. You could feel it. Something big is about to happen. Something stunning is about to happen. Something is going to blow our socks off. And that's the feeling here. People are gathering from everywhere. So something big's about to happen. Jesus is back in town. What's going to go on? What's going to happen? What does Jesus do? Well, look at that first couple of words straight after that and see what happens. What does he do? And he preached the word to them. He preached to them. He spoke to them. Notice that's the first thing he does. I don't know whether that's what you're expecting. I mean, there's more that happens after that. But the very first thing he does, the priority on Jesus and for Jesus is for him to preach to them, to speak to them. And what's he going to do? He's going to speak to them about what's on his heart. Yeah, I don't know whether you've ever noticed that before, but often when you go through the Gospels and we read about Jesus, we often think of the miracles that he did or the stunning things that happened around him. You know, he's walking on water, he's healing people, he's feeding people. All these miracles that happen, and then we hear of some small bits about his teaching, but have we ever thought that his priority was to preach? Have you thought about that? If you go through the Gospels, you'll actually find that that word comes up 
a lot. And back in Mark, Mark chapter 1, we see that was the main thing Jesus was doing. He was preaching, he was speaking to the people. And he had something he wanted to talk to them about. And what he wanted to talk to them about is actually summarised in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. If you've got your Bibles open, because that's not going to be on the screen, if you've got your Bibles open, just flip back because you actually find out what is the content of Jesus' preaching. What is he speaking about? What's he talking to these people about? Why are they there? What, what are they going to hear? Have a look at verses 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. What was Jesus preaching about? What is, the, in a sense, the kernel? What is the main thing he's talking about? He's talking about how people can be right with God. And he's talking about himself. Repent and believe the good news. The good news is how we can be right with God for eternity. And repenting means turning from the things that we've done wrong, the way that we're living our way and not God's way, and turning to God's way. And the only way that that can happen is when we trust and believe in Jesus. Who brings the kingdom of God to be? It's Jesus. Who is Jesus speaking about? It's himself. You see, Jesus' priority was that he spoke about what he was on about, about bringing people to God, about restoring people's relationship with God. You see, Jesus taught that message, Jesus lived that message and Jesus brought that message to pass. Next week when we get to Easter, that's what it's about. Jesus brings to pass how people can be part of the kingdom of God for eternity. He deals with their sin. He deals with our sin. Jesus preaches the message and the message is him. That's beautiful, isn't it? Jesus preaches the message and the message is him. And I think that's what we need to remember too, that our message, our priority is to be people who speak about Jesus. Of all the things that we do with people that we love, the greatest love that we can show for anyone is to introduce them to Jesus. A loving thing to do is to bring people to Jesus. We can do that by loving them. We can do that by sharing their lives with them and showing how Jesus impacts our life by having them over for meals. Let people see how the love of Jesus impacts you and explain why it's all about Jesus. Let me encourage you to set a time away a month, once a month, to have somebody over who doesn't know about Jesus and share a meal with them. How's that for a challenge? Some of you might be able to do that every week. Please go for it. Don't just limit it to a month. But if you're not doing it, think about a month. Do it once a month. Invite somebody over, share your life with them, share their life, learn about them, and then share how Jesus has changed your life. How's that for a challenge? If you can't quite get them over home, invite them here next, Saturday, next Friday and next Sunday. What a great thing to bring somebody to. Good Friday, Easter Sunday. They are actually the more important parts of the Christian calendar than Christmas. Easter, and Easter is bigger for us than Christmas. Far bigger for us. So bring them along. 
Invite them along. Say, this is the best thing you're ever going to hear. Turn up this Good Friday. Turn up this Easter Sunday. It will transform your life. Do it this week. Well, that's exciting enough, isn't it? Jesus speaking about that. But he's just building it up. The electric, the, the air is gathering here. People are listening to this and then suddenly something phenomenal happens that doesn't normally happen in a Jewish little town in someone's little house. Look what happens in verse 3 and 4. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic. That's someone who's paralysed, by the way. Uh, could someone, sorry, a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get, it, get to him, Jesus... Sorry, let me try that again. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralysed man was lying on. Hey, that's impressive, isn't it? That is one impressive feat. These guys were keen to see Jesus, weren't they? They went to extreme efforts to see Jesus. They couldn't get past the crowds, so they go and climb up onto the roof and they climb up onto the roof with a bloke who's paralysed. Have you ever tried carrying someone who just can't move? It's very, very difficult. It's a lot harder than taking a fridge up the stairs, I can tell you. Try and carry a very difficult. So there's four of them on each, on, on each on a corner, dragging this bloke up on top of the roof. And then when they get to the top of the roof, they don't just think, well, we're cactus now. They must have had some thought. They start digging through the roof. And as Dave said in his children's talk, it's not like a corrugated iron or a, uh, a tile roof like we have, but it's some sort of dirt roof. It probably had some uh, bits of timber across, separated part with some flax and stuff across the top and some dirt across the top of that. So they've started digging into the roof. That's pretty game, isn't it? Not only are they keen to see Jesus, but they're keen to destroy someone else's property to see Jesus. That's phenomenal, isn't it? Amazing. Imagine what it would have been like for the people below too. Here they are listening to Jesus preaching and speaking and then suddenly a little bit drops out of the roof. Then a little bit drops out of it and then there's this hole in the roof. People were going, what? The bloke who owned the house would be going, where's my insurance policy? Am I covered for people digging through my roof? Am I covered for that? And people were going stunned, wouldn't they? And then suddenly lowered through the roof. And this bloke who cannot walk in front of them all. Imagine that there would have been a buzz in the air then, wouldn't there? What is Jesus going to do with this? Is he going to kick him out? Is he going to tell off the blokes for damaging people's property? What's he going to do? Well, look at what he does in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was taken by these guys' faith, wasn't he? No, I don't think it's just the bloke who's lying on the, on the mat, but it's also the four others that were letting him down. You see, they had faith, didn't they? They trusted, they had an expectation that Jesus could do something for their mate. Their mate who'd been paralysed. He could do something for them. They believed that Jesus had the power to do it. They must have been convinced. Otherwise they wouldn't have gone to that extreme length, would they? There is no way they would have done that unless they were convinced that this bloke could do something for their mate. What determination. What expectation they had. Four blokes bring their dear friend to meet Jesus 
because they believe Jesus can do something for him. How keen are you to bring your mates to Jesus? What efforts and what extreme measures will you go to bring the people that you love to know Jesus? Because he can do amazing things, can't he? He can perform a miracle. He can heal them. And as we see in a minute, he can forgive them. Jesus can transform those that seem that are impossible to transform. He can change their life completely. I encourage you to think about having great expectations when you bring people to Jesus. Often we fear it, don't we? Often we fear the rejection. Often we fear what will happen. Will they not like us? Will they get upset? Will they, what will they do? Well, be like these guys who have great expectations of what Jesus will do because Jesus can transform their lives. Can you see the scene? Thousands of people, hundreds of people around the door. Suddenly this bloke gets lowered down in front of them. Jesus doesn't go off of them but says, your sins are forgiven. What do you reckon they thought then? They're thinking, what? What have you said his sin, sins forgiven? This bloke needs healing. What, what is, what's his sins forgiven bit, Jesus? What are you doing there? What are you going on about there? There have been people who have been thinking that. They're thinking, well, he hasn't actually, is this really what this guy needs? And there would have been other people there which we're about to find out who think, He's just made a big mistake. We've got him. Jesus has just made a claim that we can get him with. Look at verses 6 and 7. Because a lightning bolt hits and it hits the heart of a few people but not in a good way. Look at verse 6 and 7. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That would have been a huge jolt. No one had claimed to be God before. Jesus claims to be God. They recognise that Jesus' claim to forgive sins is that he's actually saying, I am God. Because only God can do that. And that is blasphemy. They're right. If Jesus isn't God, then he's just blasphemed. And he should be killed for it. If he isn't who he is, can he be? Is it him? Can he really do this? Could God really be amongst us? Is this really the one? Ah, don't be stupid. Jesus couldn't be the one. He can't be this. And Jesus knows they're thinking that. That's going through their heads. They're thinking, could he be? Is he? If he is, what, what's going on here? And Jesus knows this, and so he gives them another bolt of lightning. They say lightning never strikes in the same place twice. Well, it strikes twice right here in this passage. Look what happens. Woof, one, Jesus forgives the bloke's sins. He heals him spiritually. Then woof, two, Jesus heals the bloke's paralysis. He heals him physically. Look at verses 8 and ten, eight to 10. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Now the place would have been glowing by now, wouldn't it? 
mate, bloke comes down through the roof. Jesus says he forgives his sins. Then he says, mate, get up, take your mat and walk. The place would have been a buzz. There'd be more buzzing going there than flies during beef week, wouldn't there? More than children at an Easter egg hunt. More than Queensland supporters this year after we make a three-year whitewash of the New South Wales state of origin. It would have been amazing, wouldn't it, to be there? Could you imagine it? Just the buzz, the hype, the people, the going on. What, 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 what would have been their response? What would have been your response if you had have heard that and seen that? Would you go, wow, like the crowd? Or would you be rocked like the teachers of the law? You see, the Jesus that we see here in this passage is the same Jesus that we have now. He still has the ability to heal and he still forgives sin. You know, he won't always heal physically here and now, but he will always heal spiritually here and now. Remember, that's what Jesus' priority was, to see people repent and come to the kingdom of God, to come into an eternity in perfection with God forever, and that's what it means to have your sins forgiven. When they are wiped out, when they are taken away, then we have an eternity with God forever. To be forgiven, to have our sins dealt with, is our greatest healing that we need. To know that we can be right with God, to know that we can be friends with God, to know that we can stand before God and he looks at us and he says, Welcome, come in. There is nothing I hold against you. Nothing. Everything that you have done wrong has been wiped out and nailed to the cross. That's why we sing that song, The Glories of Calvary. Because at Calvary, when Jesus is on that cross, when his nails are nailed into that piece of wood and his feet as well, he is nailing your sin to that cross. The pain and the suffering that he goes through is the pain and the suffering and the punishment of the things that we do wrong. The things that can separate us from God forever are being removed from us through Jesus. And forgiveness can be yours. Do you know that you can be never, you can never be too bad for God? For God. You can never be too bad for God because on that cross he took all your punishment for you. And you know the other thing? You can never be too good for God either. None of us can get in by ourselves. You see, God knows us. We can't hide from him. We can't hide anything from him. He knows everything about us. He knows every little bit. He knows us warts and all. He knows your good bits. He knows your bad bits. He knows your hurts. He knows your needs. And your greatest need, the world's greatest need, is to have your relationship restored with him. And that's what Jesus does. He brings you to him. That's why Jesus on the cross cries, it is finished, it is done. All you need to do is trust in me. Your sins are finished with, you have been forgiven, you are washed clean by me. 
That's phenomenal, isn't it? This is yours. This is ours if we come to Jesus and trust in him. Did you see the sparks fly in this story? Did you feel the electricity in the air? The paralytic meets Jesus. People are watching with expectation. Hair is standing up on the back of their necks. It's electrifying and pow, the lightning bolt hits. Jesus forgives. Jesus heals. The bloke gets up and walks. People are stunned. People are pumped. People are praising God. Could you imagine they would have said, oh, well, that was pretty good and just walked off? No, look what happens. This is what they say at the end there, verse 12. It said, look at this. They amazed everyone and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. That place would have been a buzz. People would have been jumping about, burning out the windows, going around the place saying, you should have seen what I've just seen. You should have experienced what I've just experienced. What's your response this morning? I pray that you too will praise God, that you will be blown away, that you'll get excited about Jesus, that you'll have higher expectations of him, that you too will love your friends enough to go out of here and want to tell them about this Jesus that you've met, that you will look to this story, that you will look to Jesus and that you'll realise that there is no one no one like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks, Lord. Uh, we just want to praise you and thank you that we can even read this story and experience and get a glimpse of what it would be like to have met you that day. But Lord, we can meet you right now. We can come to you, Lord, and put our trust in you. And when we trust in you, Lord, we do know you and we have met you and we will experience you, Lord, in our lives. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that you have taken away all that we've ever done wrong and nailed it to that cross. We thank you, Lord, that we've been made right with you through Jesus, that we've been healed by him. Father, we pray that we too may be excited that the electrifying uh, sense that is in this passage will, will take over us, Lord, then by your spirit we, Lord, will go out praising you and saying we have never met and never seen anyone like him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.